This is Man Afraid of Everything. Welcome to Second City Improv, Part 2. And just a quick warning, there is some swearing in this episode. Oh, this is happening, guys. We're having tamales. At a bar. At a bar from a cooler. These were not on the menu of the bar. (laughs) A man approached us and asked us if we wanted tamales, six apiece, in a plastic bag. Looked very much homemade. Um, There's no one stopping him from selling these at the bar. They're actually pretty good. (laughs) These are actually really damn good. That's really good. Where are the guy going? I was going to say, that was all the podcast after we started eating. I was like, damn, that's really good. I'm so surprised by how good these tamales are. Me, Griffin, Michael, and our new classmate Andrew were at the Old Town Ale House, surrounded by paintings of naked politicians. The tamales didn't give any of us food poisoning. Three hours earlier, we had just started Level B. Um, let's see, how I describe you? I would probably say you're an introvert. He is so quiet. Very, very dry sense of humor. And then sometimes if you disappear, we're like, wait, where did Jay go? Because you'll just like, pew. You tend to go a little more low-key in your like actions and in your mannerisms. I think you're just like more stoic and introverted. I do mask it. I just go like blank. Don't, stoic. People yeah, keep yeah, saying yeah. stoic. And that's the hardest part about this whole experience for me is like learning how to like experience emotions. Or show them. Yeah, and like display them. And like, especially with level B and where we're doing, like come in with an emotion. Like you're happy, you're sad, you're angry, you're envious, you're whatever. And like, that's really hard for me. (laughs) Improv level A with Kimmy was a comfortable way to ease into Second City improv. We made circles, played games, and hugged. I felt more confident after level A, but level B would challenge me in different ways. The group was smaller. The walls and floor were black. A green curtain hung down, covering the back wall. The room looked like it was clearly used for video production. The space itself made everything feel more intimate. Our instructor David was mellow. He focused on holding hands, bonding, and drama. He tried to pull more out of us, more emotions, more details, but I was starting from scratch, a stoic face trying to convey emotions. We did an exercise where we passed invisible red and yellow balls to each other. It forced us to listen closely, remember, and communicate clearly when we pass the invisible ball to the next person. I rarely communicate clearly. I tend to mumble. The game forced me to speak up. In level B, I tried to push past emotional barricades. I'm pretty detached most of the time, I think so I don't get hurt. If I don't get too excited, I can't be let down. If I think everything's going to be terrible, it usually is. I can express confusion, but otherwise I don't really have an expression. On the other hand, my classmate Griffin puts everything out there. Um, something that my mother probably hates because it makes me do strange and odd things. Um, I've always thought that if you cared about what people think, which is, I think, where fear comes from, it leaves you no room to, to be who you are. I've always cared about what people think. What should I do? Am I doing it right? What do you think? 
It's never been, what do I want to do? Or, who do I want to be? A safe, neutral expression morphed into a safe, neutral life. Try to sleep, go to work, repress emotions, eat, sleep, repeat. Level B was a safe place to try on those emotions I thought I'd lost. It wasn't easy, but it was a thrill to try on joy, sadness, desire, and excitement, instead of just anxiousness and dread. I stumbled my way through steamy soap opera scenes, serene Oscar-winning monologues, and I tried to sing. I learned that in improv, if you commit 100%, your singing voice doesn't matter. In other classes, I was a dirty sailor, or a Jamaican man with a bad accent. I was a drag queen performing with my longtime partner, Pepita the Parrot. We spent half an hour just interpretive dancing. I was breaking out of my shell in class. But improv gets harder. It starts off slow. You play little games, pretend you have objects, but then you have to pick an emotion, stay connected with your partner, agree and further the story, but then you need to add a who, what, when, where, and a want, but don't think. I wasn't the only one feeling a little overwhelmed. Here's Marla. I do remember there was a moment after the second class of level B where we saw coached ensembles up there, and I remember you were very, you had reservations about the class that like you felt like you weren't getting it trouble yeah i remember i remember it because it was basically music improv so you you tap the person out in three seconds singing a song related to the one they're singing and i just got stuck to the wall and i just started thinking you know just get out there just sing any song but the more i analyzed it the more i couldn't move and at the end of that class i just i seriously was considering like i can't do this. I'm, I failed in that class. That was so bad. But I'm so glad I went to that coach ensembles because talking to Andrew and the group that was there, no one even noticed. And everyone was like, you were fine. And, and just having that support system, it's unbelievable. During level B, I watched classmates pull off dramatic scenes about the loss of loved ones. I laughed at quirky fights about laundry. I witnessed things no one could have predicted started with a hammer. Here's DJ, Michael, and Marla to tell the story. It was a scene where our teacher gave us um, a secret that we were supposed to like play to certain levels. Um, and Michael's secret, it turned out, was that I was high on cocaine. And he was supposed to do that at like a 10. And Michael is similar to you, like sort of more uh like head focus like sort of more uh intellectually like thinking about things you can tell he has a routine and he's he's into numbers all day so he's pretty reserved analytical and it was funny like the week before after class i was i, I was telling him like michael every time you go up i'm ready to see you just scream like that's all i wanted from him was to like really explode he was great at going up there and like playing along but I think he thinks he is being louder and more um, overt than he actually is being. Going to a 10 on an emotion, even when I think I'm at a 10, oftentimes it's maybe like a 6 or a 7 uh, compared to other people. He was so jacked up in this character that he was just, just like going at this wall and like hammering it to death. Yeah, I, I started hammering away and just there was this leg 
motion. I was, you know, kind of kicking and swinging the hammer. And Just like screaming and running around and like, it was amazing. I love watching people like you two um, breaking out of their shell and doing something completely unexpected. It's the best thing in the world. I love it when quiet people scream. I love it when serious people like act goofy. It reflects well on you that you are able to uh, to completely step outside of everything that you're used to. Like the scene in Level B where you were a drag queen. Excellent. It was beautiful. Um, but I think it also reflects on us as a class that you are trusting us to see the side of you that probably it exists, but it's probably, you know, way down, right? Um, it's like, it's like, how do I, how do I explain this? It's like, I get secondhand relief. It's like, I, like somebody, especially with Michael in that scene, it was like, I, I finally, finally got to see him just fucking go for it. It was amazing. People assume that's the hard part about doing improv, opening up, being bold, being loud. But DJ pointed out something I had completely overlooked. I am very, some might say rambunctious. Um, I tend to, like I'm a large person, I have a loud voice, um, and I discovered as we were going through improv that the characters that I tend to choose or the actions that I tend to take in scenes tend to be very large, very over the top. And I know, like when I'm watching people do improv, the interplay between the different people in the scene is really what makes it funny. Like even if someone comes out and doesn't at all interact or like makes it all about them, like it's not funny, it's kind of uncomfortable um, and it's not fair to their to their partners. The thing that I'm, I'm nervous about is like forcing my narrative onto the other person if that's not what they were thinking. I hadn't even thought about someone being nervous about being too outgoing. I've been too busy worrying about myself. So I was, I was nervous and I am still nervous about that. Um, but now I've learned that I can still play these huge characters as long as I'm aware of my scene partner. And as long as I, the improviser, which is different from I, the character, realize, oh, I need to at least let this other person get a word in every once in a while or, um, something that I also really like to do is to bring out the the big character in my scene partners. And that's something that maybe you, maybe it was somebody else in our class um, who's a little more reserved in their, in their choices. They found that when interacting with me or when doing scenes with me, they themselves get bigger. We had a person join us to make up a class. He was quiet and tended to disagree with his partners, which killed momentum. I decided to hang back to play with him. We did a scene about being evicted, so we were living in a movie theater with our kids. It was stilted and slow, but I think it worked. I learned how hard it was to bring more out of someone. It made me appreciate my partners more when they brought new stuff out of me. Is that what it's like to hang out with me in real life? Always trying to pull more things out of me? I still had trouble sitting next to people after class. If someone said, take a seat, Jed, I'd look at the empty chair next to them, analyze it, and decide, no, our bodies would touch. It happened over and over. Seats open next to someone. Nah, 
I'll just awkwardly sit right in front of you guys. During level B, I tried to be more social. I hardly ever invited people to things in the past because I didn't have anyone to invite. Now that I did, who should I invite? What are they like? Where should we go? What if people don't like each other? It's too complicated. During level A, my classmate Preethi invited everyone to a jazz club. I took her up on the offer. It made me realize that I was overthinking hanging out. Just send an email. I'm going to this thing. Does anyone want to join? If they do, you go with them. If they don't, you can still go. I sent an email to the whole group to see if anyone wanted to see Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind. It was 30 plays in 60 minutes. I had wanted to see it for a long time, but I was always afraid to go because they sell tickets at the door and you have to line up outside. What if it rains? What if it's cold? What if I don't get in? Where can I park? Luckily, I learned you can buy tickets in advance if you pay extra. When I got to the theater, I was the second one in line, behind Michael. Thank God I bought a ticket in advance. The show was manic. The entire production was built around risk. You might get in, you might not. If you do get in, you roll a die to determine the price of your ticket. Then audience members are given a menu, and they can shout out the number of the play they want to see. I never shouted anything, but I was comfortable in the madness. Except for when the performers came into the audience. At one point, they straddled spectators and started shouting about Donald Trump. This was way back in May of 2016, before the election. After the show, I hustled back to my car, and Michael caught a bus at one in the morning. So I'm just standing there awkwardly at this bus stop, and, you know, there's this girl that walks by and starts waiting for the bus, too. And then she ends up, and this is kind of weird, she just struck up a conversation, and... I'm like, yeah, okay, all right. I won't, I won't act awkward and shut this down. I'll, I'll engage. Let's see where this goes. And we ended up chatting for uh, 15 minutes, waiting for the bus. And and that's, I, I think that that's something that I would have very much avoided, um, you know, before improv. I still don't think I'd talk to anyone at a bus stop at 1 a.m. I noticed Logan was slower to volunteer in class, which is strange. Because in actual life, Logan's like... A looney tune. Very, like, outgoing, just, like, all over the place. And then it's like, when I get here and try to do the improv, it's like, I, like, tone down. Like, my levels are low. So it's like, I'm trying to, like, just be who I am outside of here and just put that into the class. Even people who I thought were the most laid back had worries. Like Griffin. I was nervous about interviewing Griffin. I didn't know if he'd let me in. He cracks jokes before class, shouts out suggestions at shows, and strikes up conversations with pretty much anyone. But maybe I was wrong. I didn't know how to read people. I just started looking people in the eyes. Before improv, my conversations consisted of me thinking about how to end the conversation as quickly as possible. Do you feel like things you've learned in improv have influenced your real life? Um... Absolutely. Uh, without getting too into detail, um, I uh, have had uh, a s- seven-year stretch of being, <laughs> heavily, we'll say heavily medicated, um, and this has definitely brought me back to uh, the personality and person I was before being heavily medicated. 
appreciate you for sharing that story. I mean, that's... Yeah, I, that's, can, I can always go into more detail. <laughs> no, I mean, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, yeah, yeah, it... it um, this has been... Uh, this has been easily the best decision I've ever made. And I feel like for a while I was, I was shut down outside of the people I was comfortable with. And coming here has made me be able to basically now be comfortable with anybody in any situation. But what's it like to be an extrovert? It's, it's fun uh, until you expose too much of yourself. And you said, you know, you, you can text, you can chat. I, I will sit and stare at a text message that someone sent me and try to think of the perfect response. And it kills me. It takes too long to have a conversation sometimes. But you put someone in front of me face to face and we'll just shoot the shit. Right. Well, but that's the difference between like a face to face interaction is improvised. A text message is not. It's written. You can rewrite. You can formulate your thoughts and all of that. Yep. Are there moments where that extroversion is like a negative for you? Like where you're. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't like being alone. Uh, I lived alone for a while and I hated it because there's. There's, I should say there's no outside stimulus that's influencing your thought processes or, you, you know, you, I, you know, I can't sit and, and zone out on Reddit because I have no one to talk to about it, you know. Times when it's a bad person, every, every schoolroom that I've ever been in, it was a bad, it was, um, I told my, my dad last week, I said, this is the first time I've been in school and I'm, it's okay to be the class clown. I remember being in eighth grade, um, basically being the exact same person. And my teacher singled me on. She said, "Griffin, you are a jackass." Um, and I took it as a compliment. Um, it's like, yeah, I am. Thanks for, thanks for being cool enough to say it in front of the class. Um, oh, and she she was 81 at the time, uh, which makes it a little funnier. Sometimes it, it's it's it gets to be a little much. I get to be a little too talkative, um, and I know that. And it's something I don't necessarily work on, but it's something that I keep in mind. Um, that sometimes I can be a little uh, too much, a little annoying. One night at the 1959 bar, I recognized an actor named Jeff Murdoch from an indie film called Master of Inventions. I was unreasonably excited. I was going to say hello. Not a big thing, just like when I met my high school friend. But then I noticed he was with Paul Jerwitz from the main stage. Second City picks around a dozen actors a year to perform on the main stage. Since 1959, main stage alumni includes Alan Arkin, Joan Rivers, John Belushi, Bill Murray, Steve Carell, and Tina Fey. The reputation of the main stage is basically why the bar we were in was named 1959. As my friends were talking, I got up and walked towards Jeff and Paul. Oh, no, they're looking down. I'm just, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. After I left the restroom, I walked past them again. It seemed creepy to approach someone from behind, so I joined my friends again. I kept glancing over to see if they were still there, rudely ignoring my friends. When we were getting up to leave for the night, I knew I had to do it. It was my last shot. I shuffled up to their table. I think they thought I was going to say something about the main stage, but instead I turned and asked Jeff, Were you in Master of Inventions? The look on their faces. They could not have been more shocked. Jeff said, I haven't heard that in, what was that, like seven years ago? 
I told him I knew his friend, Joe Avila, from writing classes at Second City back in the day. Joe had produced a low-budget movie called Master of Inventions about a horrible inventor. He invented things like a singing GPS and a waterproof blow dryer. I guess it stood out to me because Joe produced it from friends he met at Second City, and I hadn't had a similar experience. I was like, comedy writing, Joe Avila, Facebook friends, wheelchair werewolf. Paul Jerwitz's eyes lit up at the reference to wheelchair werewolf, another video Joe had done. Jeff was skeptical that I even knew Joe. He asked, would he remember you? Let's take a picture. To be honest, I didn't know if Joe would recognize me. We posed as Paul took a picture of us. We didn't really talk much after that. But of course I googled Jeff Murdoch later that night. He's a well-known performer at Second City, I.O., and Annoyance. I do this podcast. After breaks in level B, our instructor David asked if we had any questions. I waited until the very last week of class to ask him how I could get better at playing characters, having conversations, if I'm bad at having conversations in real life. David encouraged me to try talking to people more often. Be curious, ask questions, listen. To close out level B, David called me out and had me sit in a chair across from him, knee to knee. I was intimidated. Looking back, it was so clever to use chairs. I couldn't shy away and create any kind of distance. David initiated a quiet relationship scene at dinner. We were huge Mariah Carey fans, and he put me on the spot and asked me to sing one of her hits. I had no idea. Instead of blanking, I took my time and eventually said, You know I love it when you start first and then I come in. So David started singing. The weekend after that class of level B, our classmate Preeti hosted a party at her high-rise apartment. I was on a rooftop with a gorgeous view of Chicago, drinking wine and socializing with a mix of people, including Marla. Improv, when I first moved here, was my savior. Like, I could not wait till Thursday. I felt instantly a sense of community. I barely knew these people were all very different. Like, if someone were to take a picture of our class... It could not be more different, diverse, um, completely different backgrounds, different stories. And the fact that just none of that matters and we all come together and have this commonality. And just the fact that I'm surrounded by people that would put themselves out there enough to do an improv class. I think that's why we get along so well. At midnight, they decided to go to a nightclub. I've never been in a nightclub. I guess I'll go. We took Ubers over to River North. It was summer and the streets were alive with loud motorcycles, fire engines, and a mass of drunk people. I reminisced with Zyla. I remember that night, um, it was like 2.30 in the morning or something like that, and we were like walking down the street and you got a cigarette burn. Can you tell us about all of that, like just that night and then what happened? And it's still the, we need to hear the story. I didn't know it was that bad. (laughs) I think it was just great that we were, we decided to take the party further. So we decided to do a pub crawl. And so finding a place to go dancing, but you know, we couldn't go into the one bar untitled because somebody's 
uh, construction shoes, um, and I think that was DJ. So we couldn't go in. We're like, and he's like, oh, you guys just go in. I, you know, I'll go somewhere else. And we're like, no, if you can't go in, we're all not going in. So we couldn't go in. So we're like, oh, let's find another place. So we ended up finding a Cuban place that had um, like Latin music. But on our way there, there's just a crowded sidewalk, and it just happened to be this guy was smoking, and my my hand, the back of my hand, found the end of the cigarette butt. Um, that's my scar. <laughs> it's just the, like a war mark of, of bar hopping, I guess. After Havana, where Griffin was swan laking on the dance floor, we ducked into a sports bar until final call, which I'd never experienced before. They just turned on all the lights. After they closed up, Logan and I hailed a cab back to our cars. It was 3.30 in the morning, and people were still wandering around the city streets. I asked myself, how did I get here? Improv. I was telling Logan about how that night made me feel. I feel like I'm going out more like and just doing these interviews and stuff I never would have done before. Um, and I don't know if that's because I've changed or if I just got older or and I don't care as much. Like mm-hmm. that was the thing. Like I had nothing to lose. Like to even start this podcast. Like because like the first episode I couldn't even deal with like a taxi and like talking to the taxi driver. And now all this crazy stuff is happening. Oh yeah. You know, been dancing and swan laking through the through Havana is just awesome. Tamales, late night shows, street parking, bars, singing, and dancing. A lot had changed in 16 weeks. Marla remembers. I remember when you said you were gonna do B. I was so excited because I just I wanted to see where you were gonna go with it. And then in B, I'd say like the second week, you just I think you went from a 10 to like a 50 and your your ability to try new things and projecting your voice as well as you know you made an effort to go out with us afterwards hang out with people and I, I just like every time I talk to you I I forget that you have this podcast and that you're even afraid of anything because when I talk to you you seem really comfortable and it's I'm excited to see that you're doing this because I think it's, I think it's helping a lot cool yeah yeah, um, that's what I'm learning is like, I'm very stoic, like I don't show emotion. And so people can't see anything like they don't know if I'm up or down or happy or sad. Like it's almost like a defense mechanism or whatever. And that's why I don't speak up or I'm quiet or whatever. Um, you're like in improv, you're like the silent killer because like you don't have the big long scenes, but you have these statements or these names of characters, and every time you talk, everyone listens and dies laughing. So there's a lot of power in that. The emotions and intuition we faked in class became real. I was excited to go out. I felt joy after class. I was really sad when our classmate Haley told us she wasn't going to do level C. DJ noticed that due to constantly having to access uh your emotions and scenes i have found i found myself in my real life actively being more emotional which is which nobody tells you about first of all uh i generally like to keep like a pretty close lid closed lid on my emotions um and only let them out when i think it's like advantageous for me to do so um but now i find myself like crying at like commercials or like getting 
angry about that. I don't know. It was weird. And I wasn't expecting that at all, but I'm kind of glad it happened. I'd opened up in class and tried on different emotions, but the high wire act of improv still stressed me out. If I wanted to take the next levels of improv, I'd have to get up on stage in front of a crowd. I wasn't sure if I could do it, but I wanted to see what would happen if I kept going and I wanted to watch my friends grow. I wanted to tell their stories. It was scary to think about performing on stage. Public speaking is one of the most popular fears. What if my parents come to the Level C show? I don't want to let them down. I spent all this time worrying about class, driving downtown and pushing myself, and I feel like I had all of this growth. But what if I get up on stage and nobody even notices a difference? Thanks for listening to Season 2, Episode 10. There may not be another one. You can find more episodes at getafraid.com. Thanks to my classmates and Kimmy for sharing their stories. Theme music by FF Lowbeats. Man Afraid of Everything was produced by me, Jed Stoneham, with help from Sylvie Douglas. Thanks to Marla and Katie for helping with the edit. Special thanks to all who previewed and gave me feedback. Subscribe and be the first to hear Part 3.